Patty, can you do the disclaimer, please? The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Thanks. Today on the lab report, get ready. We're talking thyroid. We're talking about nutrition, ways it affects your thyroids, and environmental factors, too. Do you think about butterflies when you think about Always. Uh, every time? Yeah. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I gotta run to the grocery store after work today. Snow, oh. Snowstorm's coming. Yeah, I gotta get the bread and milk. Yeah, gotta Stuck get up the, on bread the bread and milk. Three inches over under. Ooh, over. Hello. Hi, I'm Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Patty Devers? I'm a little bit worried about the snowstorm. My are car, you? My car is not really good in the snow. We've discussed this. I think, here's the thing. The fact that this is such a national story, or yeah. will have been a national story, uh-huh. means it's going to be absolutely underwhelming. <laughs> it's guaranteed. Fair. It's That's guaranteed. Fair. <laughs> and given that this is slated to come out on Tuesday, I will right. either be a genius or I'll be an idiot. Either way, we still love you. Win-win, right? <laughs> uh, so this is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. And it's kind of a place where we talk about things like uh, precision medicine, mm-hmm. integrative therapeutics, mm-hmm. specialty lab testing, mm-hmm. uh, and the like. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if you're new to the show, welcome. And thanks so much for returning. We love hearing from you. We love your emails. Keep those coming. But if you're new and you haven't yet subscribed and maybe listen and you like it, maybe go and subscribe to the show. Maybe rate, review, leave us some stars and things like that. You can also follow some of the amazing people on our medical affairs team at places like at Genova Diagnostics on Instagram. Mm. Follow us on Facebook. We do lots of live videos and things like yep. that. So you will always learn by paying attention and following Genova Diagnostics. Speaking of learning, uh-huh. I came in and asked you this morning, what's the temperature outside? And you said nine. Yeah. yeah and no, it's clearly no. not nine degrees. No. And so I say, well, it depends. How are you getting nine? Right. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like any, like learning any language, I feel like immersion therapy or immersion is the best way to learn. Okay. And so um, I'm tired of being like the only person out of you know, 1% of the w- global population that knows Fahrenheit and everyone else is speaking Celsius. So I just swapped it on my app. So now I'm going to attune myself with Celsius based mm. on what's going on around me. Huh. I gotcha. Okay. So I'm trying to get familiar with like, you know, the scale, the Celsius scale, what yeah. nine feels like, no. what negative two <laughs> feels like. Well, are you going to start using the metric system in general, like meters, you know? Uh, I'll let you know. Um, this is this is sort of an initial test drive. This is a, mm-hmm. a beta test of this whole conversion thing. So we'll see. If, if I have success here and I actually feel like I've learned, then yeah, maybe I'll, uh, I'll apply it to other units. Well, can't you just take the Celsius, you times it by like 1.8, and then you add 32, right? Is that how you get to Fahrenheit? You're one of those, huh? <laughs> you're just you also like the lightning. You see the lightning flash, and then yeah, you count to five, and then you divide it by three or something. I don't know how that works. So you're one of those. So you're you, doing math on the fly like that. Because you're a Scorpio. I know you don't like math. You're very emotional. You just got to feel it out. You're going to feel what nine feels like. Is that what you're telling That's me? That's right. That's right. All right. And you're right. I don't like math, and I don't mm. like converting things. That's why I have my phone set to Fahrenheit. What are you on about? Exactly. Also Sorry, Oliver. Used to Celsius. So... <laughs> 
What are we talking about today, Patty? Well, we're going to revisit the thyroid. We did an entire episode on the thyroid. And I thought we could dig a little bit deeper in how specific nutrients or various toxins affect thyroid function and metabolism and the synthesis of hormones. Uh, sounds good. You know, before we just dive right in and dig a little bit deeper, I mean, maybe we should go back a little bit and actually just kind of generally talk about the thyroid because it's been a while since we talked about it. So, um, you know, maybe people didn't actually listen to that episode. Oh, maybe they can go back and listen to it. But let's recap. Okay. I mean, earlier you talked about butterfly. It is a butterfly-shaped organ and your anterior trachea. And speaking of Fahrenheit and Celsius, we sort of think of the thyroid almost as like a thermostat of your body, right? Well, turning things up, turning things down. Uh-huh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, controlling metabolism. Um, and because of that, you know, I, I tend to think that we miss the connection between the thyroid and something like the, you know, the central nervous system and the adrenal function because mm-hmm. we oftentimes, the thyroid has to continuously adjust. And, and one of the things that we see with chronic HPA axis dysfunction is this alteration of cellular function driven by dysglycemia and cortisol release, right? And so that changes the actual dynamics of metabolism um, as clearly evidenced by all the commercials around like, do you have cortisol belly and like all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Those loose associations that we have that are pretty well known, but even the more, the greater in- intricacies, uh, the thyroid has to then compensate for it. So that's, to me, I think an important facet that we tend to lose in our training, that connection between adrenal and thyroid. And I'll tell you what else gets lost in our training. The fact that nutrition underpins every single metabolic process, including hormones, hormone production, synthesis, and You think we learned by now, you right? You think we would know this by we, now. Like the, you know, food is medicine, like <laughs> the stuff you put in your face, right. down your throat pipe, right. um, well, is important. <laughs> well, let's, let's back up, Michael, and why don't you just kind of recap basic thyroid physiology. Wow. Okay. Uh, Five you, minutes or less. No, wow. less, 30 so seconds or less. Just basic thyroid physiology. Well, I mean, I, I tend to think of the thyroid is being a feedback organ in general. So we start with what's going on at the cellular... Where do you start in a circle? You could start anywhere in the circle. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to start with the cellular mechanisms and the cellular metabolism that's giving information to the brain that then is sensing it and saying, okay, we need to adjust the thermostat, either up, down, left, right, however Mm -hmm. it does it. And so then it starts to secrete this hormone, uh, the thyroid-releasing hormone, right, TRH, uh, from the hypothalamus that goes to the pituitary, which then turns in the pituitary, then secretes TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, right, which then goes to the thyroid to do the thyroid stuff and make thyroid hormone. So it makes two different hormones. Well, it makes T4 primarily. It does make a little bit of T3, but most of the T3 is made peripherally. So it creates T4, which is relatively inactive, which then circulates to the target tissues, uh, which can then at the cellular, at the cell level, it will incorporate T4, it will convert it to T3 or reverse T3 depending on its needs. Right. And it's so-called T4 because there's four iodine molecules on there, right? So when it becomes T3, it requires enzymes to remove an iodine and they call those deiodinase enzymes. That makes sense. Yeah. And there's a lot of metabolic processes within that exact pathway you just discussed, Michael. And, you know, interestingly similar to what we've been discussing for the past year and a half on this podcast. These are metabolomics, and they require nutrient cofactors and various enzymes and proteins along the way. And when it comes to enzymes and the cofactors, oh, baby, we love talking yeah. about enzymes and cofactors. Let's right. do it. Well, let me ask you this question. I'm ready. When you think of the thyroid, what nutrient do you think of first? Iodine. Right. Why? 
because it's one of it's that serves the function of in the creation of the T4 and T3 molecules. It's right. one of the main active parts of it. You know, and what's interesting is worldwide, most countries are deficient in iodine, and it's a common cause of of thyroid disease in, in many non-developed countries. Let's but, get some, let's do some practical advice here, right? right? Because you go to the store, you get salt. Right. Right. And I think a lot of time when we're talking about iodine, we think of salt. I think of salt personally when I mm-hmm. think of like as a nutrient. And so if I'm at the store mm-hmm. and I'm buying some salt. Right. Do I do I get the iodized? Do I get the sea salt? Do I get the deiodized? Which what do I get? Well, here's the problem. Uh. They fortified salt with iodine to kind of help prevent worldwide deficiencies and thyroid disease. But sea salt itself comes from a natural source and contains minerals, but it does not contain iodine. So here's the presumption is that sea salt's better for you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure I heard that on some somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would it be better for me? I understand it has minerals, but what about the iodine? That's, that's, there's the rub. So it does have a lot of important minerals, but it does set you up for a risk for iodine deficiency if you only use that and you don't get enough iodine other places in your diet. You can see where you would make the natural oh, mistake, though, right? For sure. So you think of iodine, I think of seaweed. I'm like, oh, dude, the, we're talking about the sea. Like right. sea salt, seaweed, totally. iodine's got to be in there. Totally. Not in there. Nope. What you're saying. I guess. Okay, so I have another iodine question because I thought I heard this somewhere. Is that uh, one of the big problems is we had all this iodized salt. It was great. Table salt mm-hmm. was helping prevent thyroid issues. And then with processed foods, that tends to be more expensive. So they started using deiodized salt. And so we're not actually getting our iodine supplementation that we used to get. And I'll just let you know. So because this is so confusing, uh-huh. I have so many different types of salt in okay. my cabinet, right? So I've All got like right. Morton's, iodized, and then and Himalayan I just, pink salt. I just rotate, baby. <laughs> I'm just a salt rotator. That's a smart plan. But, you know, there are countries where they supplement with iodine. We use iodized salt. And iodine and thyroid disease is actually a double-edged sword because not only can iodine deficiency give you problems with your thyroid, but thyroid, but iodine excess can also cause thyroid problems. For sure. And that I believe they both can lead to goiters. They can. Which does not make any sense to me, right? <laughs> it's like pick a direction. Like you don't get to have it both ways. Well, excess iodine can trigger receptors and trigger inflammatory responses highly associated with autoimmune dis- disorders of the thyroid. But so yeah, iodine is tricky. It's double-edged sword. You got to be careful. But you know, I would say, in general, iodine deficiency is far more a thing than iodine excess. Yeah, iodine is tricky. Iodine is good. Uh, selenium is is another, Ooh. the next thing I probably think of on the list. And yeah. I love selenium. I used to take selenium. I don't take it right now. but Yeah, and if you remember our minerals episode way early back, like OG lab report, we did a whole around, around the, the horn with all the medical affairs team, and we are asking their favorite mineral, and selenium came up specifically as an antioxidant. Cold classic. Oh, of course. Yeah. And as it relates to the thyroid. So the question I have for you, Michael, is how does selenium have anything to do with the thyroid? <laughs> I mean, the main thing that I think <laughs> about is the fact that the selenium is a backbone for the quote-unquote selenoproteins. Whoa that are utilized in so many different facets here. They're used in thyroid hormone synthesis. They're used for the deiodinase enzymes, which help convert T4 to T3, and antioxidant protection. So not only is selenoprotein a cool thing to say, Mm -hmm. which is actually a backbone of metalloproteins, 
is also fun to say. But uh, yeah, super important in, in overall thyroid function. Right. And you mentioned the antioxidant properties, which is what a lot of people think about selenium in general. But even, you know, the diiogenase enzymes, I mean, that causes some reactive oxygen species. And so selenium is helpful there too. And I often think about selenium in Brazil nuts. So it's probably right. the most common source of selenium. It, yeah, at least high high degree of selenium in Brazil nuts as compared to a lot of other foods. Um, and, uh, you know, if we want to go there, the ability for selenium to be a strong antioxidant and form these really huge proteins like the selenium proteins, it's all about the orbital rings. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, prove me wrong. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So you're talking about orbital rings. We're talking like atoms, like electrons. That's right. And so selenium itself is a molecule. So you're talking about the orbital rings of selenium? Yes. Or are you talking about selenium being part of some other orbital ring in planets in space? No, I'm oh. saying that because selenium has many more orbital rings than some of our more simpler atoms. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it gives it more flexibility to take on or release electrons, which makes it a better antioxidant oh. type wielding thing, so similar to iron. But because it's so large, it also can form these huge backbones. Super awesome. But I mean, as long as we're talking about orbits, we might as well. Yeah. I mean, take that, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's right. Come on our show. Anyway, we got lost there. Um, what is another nutrient that you think about with respect to thyroid function? Well, I'll tell you that I'm going to bring up the next one, which is zinc. And we talk about zinc all the time. Sure. Probably one of our favorite minerals along with magnesium of all time oh, on yeah. this show. We talk yeah. about zinc all the time. Big, but big, it's a big yeah. popular one these days. Oh, it's, it's like, it's like the Billie Eilish of the minerals. <laughs> so zinc is important because it's a cofactor in so many different enzymes, helping them to function. And it's critical as a cofactor in the diiodinase enzymes, the selenoprotein backbone related diiodinase enzymes. Zinc is a cofactor. And so, you know, we know that these are the enzymes that remove an iodine to make from T4 to T3, as well as creating T3. And so we know zinc is important, but zinc can also regulate things like TRH, TSH, mm. and then even the transcription factors that are involved in making thyroid hormones. Fascinating. So it can modulate kind of the yeah. effectiveness of the actual thyroid hormone at the tissue level, at the cell signaling level. Uh, that's, that's super fascinating. And especially given the fact that, again, we think about zinc as alluding to antioxidant capacities. Mm -hmm. So this crossover effect between the hormones and system, the, the endocrine system would be the scientific <laughs> way of saying that, uh, and zinc and antioxidant capacity and the importance there is super fascinating and one we don't focus on as often as we probably should. Right, and we don't think about nutrition as much in the hormone system as you called it. <laughs> but but an, another nutrient I think about is iron. So what are your thoughts on iron? <laughs> Not important in the lung system, <laughs> the heart system. Well, iron and its uh, exceptional orbital rings are important <laughs> in the depend heme dependent enzyme thyroid peroxidase. Um, and so, you know, lower iron levels can lead to low T3, low T4. And so that's really important, obviously. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's another one of those things. It's kind of a backbone type mineral. Uh, and so not only is iron dependent in those enzymes, we think of iron in so many other things, like some of the, 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 the heme proteins, the cytochrome proteins, porphyrins, all that stuff. Everywhere, so, yeah. everywhere. But you know what else is interesting? They're finding in literature that those nutrients we just talked about, iron, selenium, and zinc, that when you're deficient in iron, selenium, and zinc, it can also blunt the efficacy of iodine supplementation. So you see how this all is so interconnected as it relates to the thyroid. 
it's interesting. It's not directly. Is it directly blunting? Like, how does that work? I would expect like maybe you're supplementing these things and they're just not as efficacious because you're you don't have the actual backbone to make the the, the thyroid hormone, right? So it's like. Well, if you don't have thyroid hormone, you can give all you the cofactors. You take all the iodine you, iodine you want, and exact. you're not going to make anything with it. Or vice versa. You can take right. all the zinc or iron you want, and you're not going to convert something that's not there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk protein, Michael. Mm. We talk protein. We're talking amino acids, and we know how important amino acids are. They're the building blocks for all the proteins and enzymes and things that we make in our body. There's one specific amino acid that's critical in thyroid hormone. Which is it? Tyrosine. Wrong button? No, I'm, I'm changing the dinger to the peacock from oh my here gosh. on out. It's, it's Great. Not the too sign annoying. of a win is the peacock. All right. All right, so it is tyrosine, and why? Well, we think of uh, thyroglobulin as being mm-hmm. very important, right? right? Thyroid hormone. Totally. Uh, it is loaded Whoa. with tyrosine residues. So Whoa. it's uh, hugely important just from the fact of its sheer abundance in thyroid hormone. So without it, we can't make thyroid hormone. Big problem. So speaking of big problems, I mean, how would we know if we don't have enough tyrosine or, say, zinc? I mean, I think most of us are fairly familiar with how to evaluate adequacy of iron, right? Mm -hmm. So, but zinc, that's tricky. You know what I mean? Is it? Or do you just get a Nutrivel? Oh, I see what you (laughs) did there. Wow, well done. Give you this here. So, yeah, Nutrivel is good to determine the levels of those nutrients. But also, I mean, we might think about, um, Travis, I was just getting there. (laughs) Travis has a patience. What time is it? (laughs) Hit the button, Travis. Go for it. Right on top of us talking. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. All right, Michael Chapman, here's the question for today. We did a lot of talking today about the specific important nutrients that are necessary for thyroid hormone Uh production and metabolism, Uh namely things like selenium, zinc, iron, tyrosine. And we talked about the fact that we measure them on the NutriVal, but anyone who's familiar with the NutriVal knows that we measure them in all different matrices. And the question is why? Oh, okay. Well, so there is some debate out there and some inconsistencies as far as how we orient ourselves to adequacy. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, we think about like a serum chemistry where you look at serum, magnesium, potassium, and that's going to tell you one thing about kind of overall electrolyte imbalance, but that doesn't necessarily tell you about nutritional status, right? And so one of the counterpoints to that was look at red blood cell magnesium and potassium because that's going to tell you more of a longer window steady state evaluation. Um, however, when it comes to some of these other things, we don't necessarily know where the nutrients are circulating, where, what, what's apples to apples comparison. However, what a lot of the literature has shown is when we evaluate zinc and copper, we're looking at the serum for the zinc copper ratio. So we realigned where we're assessing zinc and copper to align ourselves with the the research around the zinc copper ratio. So, um, there is some standards around serum zinc and that's why we're doing it that way. Uh, when it comes to selenium, again, there's not really a gold standard matrix to go to. So at the end of the day, whole blood is great because it looks at both the red blood cell and the serum together. Um, so it gives you a, a very wide viewpoint. And so if you compare healthy people's whole blood selenium to, um, to you know, patients, then you're going to get a little bit of an apples to apples comparison that way. So I guess 
to, to tie this up, if you get the comprehensive thyroid assessment here at Genova Diagnostics and you have some abnormalities, it might be a good idea to follow up with a NutriVal because there's a sure. lot of things you can optimize from your nutritional status to optimize your thyroid before going on medicines and or if you're on medicine to help optimize that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And not only that, you know, so many of the other things can maybe in a roundabout way affect thyroid function like B vitamins. And we talked about right. HPA, HPA access at the very beginning, which can relate to, you know, fatty acids and amino acids yeah. and all the things. So um, a NutriVal is a great place to, to recapitulate, reevaluate where your patient is from a thyroid perspective. Yep. Excellent way to check in with your hormone system. <laughs> Comments like that really hurt my heart system. <laughs> Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk fatty acids and eicosanoids. Ooh, inflammatory system. I love it. Arachidonic acid, cyclooxygenase. Mm-hmm. All, all that stuff. Big words. Yeah. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Okay, you can only pick one. Oh, boy. I'm going to give you three sound effects from the board, and you have to tell me which is your favorite. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. The witch, laughing. (laughs) Makes me laugh every (laughs) time. (laughs) The annoying peacock. Uh Or the DJ air horn. Uh, Out of those three, it's definitely the witch. Really? Oh, yeah. Over the peacock? For sure. (laughs) Why? I don't know. I just feel like she's really selling it. You know, she's <laughs> she really going for is. it. And she doubles down, too. I know. She, the first one's like, that's not cackly enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here she goes. <laughs> that's good, man. That's, that's it's true. Good. That's a good laugh. <laughs>